happening now. I'd like to welcome our viewers from across North America and around the world. This is the EdTech Situation Room, episode 167, for March the 4th, 2020. My name is Wes Fryer. I am coming to you from Oklahoma City, where we are continuing to, I guess we're just basically saying goodbye to winter, because the Bradford pear trees have, have blossomed, and we had an EdCamp OKC last weekend, where sometimes, you know, we have actually had some ice storms the, the last weekend of, of uh, February, so anyway, it is as warm as can be. But you will notice that Jason Knifer is not uh, across the screen from me tonight. I am so excited to invite back to EdTech Situation Room, Carl Hooker. So, Carl, welcome, and uh, tell us all where you are and what, what is uh, this March 2020 season of life find you doing? <laughs> Lots of different things. Well, I, I'm Carl Hooker. I'm a full-time educational consultant and speaker, and I come to you live from Austin, Texas, just down the road from Dr. Wesley Fryer. Um, and we are, uh, we are through winter as well, but we have our second winter coming and it's called South by Southwest, uh, which is next week, uh, unless uh, something changes, which it could, you never know the way things are nowadays with conferences. So. Um, yeah, I'm doing a lot of, I'm doing a lot of, uh, I think since the last time you and I spoke, I was just getting started kind of on the full-time track of speaking and consulting. So doing that, hitting some conferences this time of year. Um, and yeah, and just keeping my eyes on the news when it comes to everything and anything coronavirus lately. So, uh, obviously it, it does affect my work, but also affects schools that I work with. So, uh, yeah. keeping my eye on that. Absolutely. Well, uh, for those of you that may be new to the show, we, are a weekly show generally at this time, which is 9 p.m. Central, 8 p.m. Mountain, um, and we will talk about the week's technology headlines through an educational lens. Uh, Jason Knifer, who is my normal co-host here, is actually going on a bit of a marathon of different conferences and uh, speaking engagements and uh, other professional development events, and so I think he will be back next week. Uh, you can check out all of the links that we are talking about in the show notes to hopefully the episode if you're listening to this late, but if you're listening live or you want to check out more notes, a lot of times we'll have more here than we actually get to, but you can find all those at edtechxr.com link. And this very well could be the coronavirus episode. Uh, <laughs> we have a lot of links that are back. A lot of links. But of course, it was also Super Tuesday last week, or last week. Yesterday. yesterday. Yeah, it seemed like last week. <laughs> but yes, yeah. yesterday. We had we had talked on the show either last one of the last two weeks about I don't know did you see this about how Google Forms kind of rode to the rescue for you know reporting because they, they have the app difficulties at some of the conferences maybe it was an iOS oh yeah I did hear something about that you know set up Google Forms that they use to hey you know whatever making it work right whatever that's we we've been doing that in education for decades right just make it work yeah well and as Susan Bearden last week with, you know, it's so important to pilot test and, you know, test things. So if you are viewing us live, and we've got a couple of live viewers, uh, you can um, text into the chat, and I should have actually sent Carl earlier um, so he could have logged in and seen the seen the live chat, but we can, oh. and I can give those voice, and we would love any questions or thoughts that you might have. So, Carl, anywhere in particular you would like to start? I mean, you're talking about South by, you want to? Yeah, yeah. Well, first, because I've I've been to South by Southwest EDU once, and I got to see the awesome film festival that you all you know put together. But that was my that was the extent of my experience. And it's probably been at least five years. So. Yeah, this is the tenth year. I can't believe it. I've gone every year since it started. It used to be in a little hotel, much like South by Southwest, the, the kind of the mothership. It started out in a little hotel basement, um, and it's really still the I would call it the stepchild of the conference because it's. It's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday before the big event starts, before 70,000 people descend upon Austin. So it's got about five or 6,000 people um, in two of the main kind of conference centers here in Austin. And uh, I've, I've always enjoyed it because it's not a typical, what I would call an educational tech conference, like like an ISTE or a TCA, where it's a lot of tech tools. This is more about deeper conversations around pedagogy, around race, uh, equity, things like that, um, really kind of uh, gets you thinking deeper about a lot of things in education. So I've always, for me, it's been a place where I could stretch and grow. And I, I've, I still enjoy going to those ed tech conferences, but for, if there's not a lot of those like tool sessions. So if you're a teacher going to look for like 50 apps in 50 minutes, they're not going to have those kind of sessions there. Um, but it's, but it's again, it's a mix of, it's a mix of K-12. It's a mix of higher ed and then a lot of venture capitalists, VC 
I would say it's a third, a third, a third of those two, of those groups kind of mixing together. So kind of interesting. It's not your typical teacher conference, I would say. Let me ask you this. I, like I said, it's been probably five or six years since I went. I felt a little bit like the bait in there. Yes. Is that, is that a common thing? In terms <laughs> of like, because maybe it's because of just all the developers and the, the focus on monetization that it had a different vibe. Did you go to the Bill Gates here when he keynoted? Yeah. Oh, so the Bill Gates here might have been the year after, right around that same time. It was, um, Bill Gates was a closing keynote. So of course there's a line out the door. Everyone's ready to come in and see him. And I walk in with a bunch of teachers and, and ed tech coaches of mine and we walk in and sit and we're sitting there getting excited. He comes up there and he talks for about five or six minutes. And it's obvious to us that Bill doesn't know where he's at because he shows a map of like the common core standards. And he's like, look at this map of common core and look at all the states that have adopted it. And there's a giant Texas that's blacked out. And everyone starts laughing, and he actually turns to look at his slides to go, like, what did I, did something mess up on the slide? He had no idea where he was. Anyway, so he talks for five or ten minutes, and then he goes, now I'm going to introduce this new company I'm really excited about called Bloom. Is it Blooms? That was the one that he was really into that was like a Blooms or not. I don't know if it's Blooms. It was like a platform um, that basically is no longer around. And then he had three or four other companies come and pitch. And a teacher turned around and looked at me. She goes, I didn't come here to be pitched at. So she got up and left, and I walked out with her. And so... We walked out of the ending keynote, and I think they got some pushback because of that, and they pared it back a little bit. But you're absolutely right. Um, we are the bait. We were the bait, at least if it was kind of in the middle of the of the Southwest South by Southwest EDU, um, I would say, tenure. But they've come back a little bit off of that, I feel like. It's more more higher ed, more educational technology still talk. But, yeah. Hey, Peggy's with us. I see her. That popped up in my comments. And so this works where I can you can actually express your gifts because that's what so hey. Ooh, look at that. That's cool. I used to do that last time. Nice. Have you been in StreamYard before? I think the last time you and I did did this was in StreamYard, but I don't remember the comments popping up like on the screen. That was pretty neat. Yeah. I like that. It's pretty cool. We, we got some we got banners that we can do. So this I is fancy. That. Look at that. <laughs> Coming soon. Wash your hands. Twenty seconds, everybody. Yes. <laughs> That's true love when you can when you can paint your living room wall green chroma tree green. Well, and then is the video comp, um, the video story is like digital storytelling, right? Video. Uh, yeah. Is that still happening and, and getting better every year? They do, they. They do, and I do like that part of it too. And they've always added that part. So one of the you'll see sessions built into the actual schedule that are actually two hours at a movie theater that's right there downtown. And they'll have like live viewings of a lot of its educational films, student. A lot of it's a student-led film festival. So you'll see those films that are really tied into it. I think like um, what's Race to the Top and some of those other films that have been out lately um, that are really tied to education have been premiered at South by Southwest EDU. And then, of course, when the when the mothership comes on Thursday and they kind of kick all of us educators out, uh, it, the town completely transforms. They wrap all the buildings in different things, and you'll see, like, the Game of Thrones characters walking around. I mean, it gets wild. Um, but, uh, but yeah, we get a little taste of it with our ticket. Unfortunately, the South by Southwest EDU ticket does not allow you into the main event, so you kind of have to leave. Uh, they won't let you stay after that. I had a, I heard a wild Game of Thrones-related story the other day, so we... Uh... We've been looking at projection, and so we've had our, our local smart reps and then Promethean folks. And anyway, one of them was talking about being at the Las Vegas trade show, which was a drone show. And they said the Game of Thrones drone was there. It had like 12 HD cameras or something hanging off of it, and a guy actually was hanging on to it. Wow. To this massive, you know, uh, you know, ballroom or whatever, the massive expo room and expo hall. I thought that was. That is cool. We're we're almost there. We're getting closer. We're getting closer to where we can fly our drones from place to place. Our son, well, at our end camp a few years ago, we were going to have some flying drones. And at that time, the school we were in was having us get an insurance policy. Yes, still no do that. You yeah. can't have drones, you know. Can't um, fly over people. That's right. And then, um, oh, and Peggy's saying my audio is fuzzy, and it may not be coming to my mic. So thank you, Peggy, for letting me know that. Yeah, I, know, I was going to say you're picking up a little bit. You're a little bit behind. With, oh. Not behind, but you're a little bit lighter, but I don't know if it was just because I didn't have my sound turned up all the way. Oh, now it sounds great. Oh, yeah. yeah. Great. So, yeah, there's a – sorry, man. <laughs> Change up. Thank you, Peggy. See, isn't it wonderful to have live viewers? Gotta love Peggy. Us? Yep. Yes. Yeah. 
it does make a difference. So this is the old iRig. So we were, we were listening to the built in. I, I did a podcast interview with somebody who's working with the census and I, I was not very well prepared anyway. And so my, my audio sounded pretty poor. I would have actually been better <laughs> off using my phone to dial in, you know, there you go. Yeah. Wasn't, wasn't great. Um, I, I, so I want to ask you a reflective South by question. So you've sure. seen it for 10 years. And I think you've probably, you know, you've written blog posts on about this and the, the decade and the past and whatnot. Uh, where do you think we are with educational technology now? And I know we're going to talk about coronavirus and there's a lot of schools sure. talking about online and stuff, but can, can you, uh, sort of, uh, you know, pontificate, uh, as far as like looking at, at 10 years and kind of where educational technology has come? Um, do you, do you see, see any big trends or, or big differences, you know, for where we are in 2020 compared to 2010? I feel like I, I don't know. I feel like we've turned a corner in the last couple of years and maybe this has come about because of the screen time stuff that you and I have talked about tech, the tech fear therapy, uh, uh the West Fryer coin term there, uh, that, that has been around for a while. And I think that's actually, um, caused us to be a lot more thoughtful about our educational technology. When I started this or the position I was in at Eans in 2009, I remember we had all sorts of stuff. We had digital cameras. You remember those things you could plug in and, I had to like download the photos from them. <laughs> this was right when smartphones started. SD cards. SD cards. And you had, to, if you wanted to do video editing, you had to like take your little Canon camera and plug it in with Firewire into the Mac and then use Premiere or whatever iMovie to get it to. Now it's all built into the devices. But back then there was so much time spent on the tech that we were just like kind of flying through it. And now I feel like the tech has gotten so light, so to speak, in terms of ease, ease of use that we really can spend some time thinking about how well we're using it. So I feel like that's the major trend. Um, I do still think there's some, uh, flashy objects, let's just say that are out there. And I don't know whether or not they're going to like let VR, AR, where's that going? I do think there's a lot of potential there, but where could it go? It could be just flashy tech and then esports, which you and I talked about in the last show that I was on. That's it's right. just continuing to explode. And I mean, I'm surprised at the exponential growth of that. And it's just. What's good, what that's leading to for me and what I'm seeing in conversations I'm having with school leaders is the equity conversation is going to come up again, especially with esports, because to afford a $3,000, you know, um, machine that can run all the alienware machine that can run all the software for, for esports, you've really eliminated a large section of the population. So how do we continue to make that light enough to where everyone can have access to it? So I think, um, it, it seems like with ed tech, you know, this, it's a roller coaster, like up and down, up and down or merry go round. Um, we're back to where we were with some of the equity conversations with uh, connectedness. You wonder if some of the cloud-based stuff, I think it's Stadia, that's Google's uh, cloud mm-hmm. platform. And I was just reading an article, I didn't put it in the show notes, but about uh, Apple Arcade. Have you, have you tried any of those, by the way, at home? I've I've tried. I've dabbled in Arcade a little bit. Um, and it's, it is, it is. I will say that those platforms, and I've, I've seen some, I have friends that have done Stadia, but I think, what they've said is that it's, it is lighter, which is good. And I think that's awesome. Um, because doing like League of Legends and, and some of these games are getting, the more they're getting web based, I think we'll probably eliminate the conversation of the giant machines. But when I go to trade shows, I was just in uh, Illinois last week for IdeaCon, their new conference kind of remade conference. It used to be called ICE and there was a whole booth set up by Microsoft and it had all these kind of ready to go giant laptops that you could just plug in and go with you. There were, you know, $1,500 probably, but, uh, I mean, really high quality machines, but again, cost eliminates a few people um, when you mm-hmm. start getting up at that, that price. Well, it's in, it'll be interesting with gaming to see how much of it can be cloud-based and with, you know, 5G and increase in speeds, latencies is a big thing with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, had had a lunch with a, with a friend of mine, James Deaton, that used to be the director of our state network, and now he works with uh, colleges and universities. <clears throat> but he was talking about, was it a Call of Duty update? There was some kind of really big game update that happened, like, in the last, you know, two to four weeks. And I mean, he was showing the graph on his phone in terms of the tremendous spike. Cause it was like an 80 gig download or something like that. And anyway, so gaming crashing, gonna, crashing yeah. networks left and right. We're actually having a, there's a tech and learning live event happening back in Chicago at the end of April. And that one's, we're going to bring in hopefully uh, someone from the state level to talk about what does it look like in terms of the state athletic association, cause they're having to recognize it, you know, as an esport, Illinois just started recognizing it and some other states are following suit. I know Texas is about, I know how Oklahoma is, but we're about a year ish away. Oh, you have the program at the university level, but I don't, I don't know about esports as far as with the, um, the K-12 yet. I don't think so. And I think that's starting to increase year to year. Of course, as the colleges tend to accept it. So I think 
it's good to have the perspective of conversation. What does it look like from a tech director side, a state person, the actual student, and then the coaches themselves? Like, what does it mean to be a coach and how do you have to monitor your kids and practice hours? And anyway, I think that's the new big thing. I don't know yet. I can't honestly, I have friends who tell me they think this is the next big bubble that's going to burst. I don't know. I feel like it continues to grow. So I, I, we're not there yet if it's going to burst, but I do, I do know a lot of people like, Oh, this is going way too fast. It's going to totally implode on itself soon. Interesting. Well, let's get into a couple articles. Sure. Um, I know we're going to talk coronavirus. Some. Um, there, so I'll start off with one there. So the BBC news on February 28th was reporting, not surprisingly, that fake news is, is spreading fast. Um, they are also, I don't know if this was the article there. There's been a lot of takedowns of, um, you know, things on Amazon and, you know, false, uh, um, you know, products and things like that. Um, and this kind of just continues conversations that we've had on the show and, and lots of people are talking about in terms of the responsibility of tech companies to try to police this and how we're hoping they're going to do a good job of this, you know, without regulation and without being required to do that. But I mean, they're, they are, they are responding, but you know, you know, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, um, all of, of the platforms, you know, it's just a new, it's a new topic that can get people's attention and, um, you know, is creating the, the spread of the spread of fake news. I guess the BBC, there was a separate article that was, it's titled coronavirus, Amazon removes overpriced goods and fake cures. And, uh, I don't know the thousand, I don't know if I'll be able to pull this up too fast as far as the thousand, you know, um, I, thousands of items that, that they, they took out. But I guess one of the lessons I've done for my, my fifth and sixth graders, cause I'm getting to, to teach computers, you know, media literacy, digital literacy, um, is just, you know, don't be tricked online. I, my sixth graders taught me about, and you may already know this, a great YouTuber called the odd one out. And he has a video that's about don't get, don't get tricked. Oh, get I haven't tricked. seen that. It's fantastic. I'll tweet okay. it to you. Um, because you know, it's, it's in, the ways our media landscape is with so many different channels, so many different places. You know, if we're not asking, you know, our kids like, who are you watching? Who, who are those influencers? You know, those kinds of things. So that was really cool. Um, he's an artist and just does amazing animations and he's really, you know, he, all of his videos have, have millions of views. So I think he's probably getting to do that full time. But anyway, uh, certainly this gives an opportunity for, you know, critical thinking and web literacy and media literacy and all of those, those good kinds of things. And, you know, it's not like all the older adults that are being targeted by this are coming to school to take, you know, their computer class and their media literacy, right. and their digital literacy. So they're learning, they're, they're learning on Facebook. And I think I, I posted an article. I'll, I'll put the link in the notes too. It's from scientific alert or sciencealert.com, which has done it. It's just as a, a grid basically since 1967 of, of what the major viruses have been, what their case, how many cases got it, how, what were the death and fatality rates, number of countries affected. And I made a perp- uh, point of circling the one stat that I thought was the most important. And that's the year it was identified because the last major virus we had was the H1N1. And that was 2009. What's changed in our lives since then? And you think about the, the availability of mobile phones and social media and it's constant, 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 constant on. I think that's what's made this seem like, Oh my God, we're all going to, it's all happening real fast because actually the numbers say otherwise. I mean, actually out of all the major ones, this one's had by far the least fatality rate, and we don't even know what, what China's reporting. That's another part of it I will say is that the Chinese government doesn't always, um, let's just say, come Fort, come Fort Rice with all their information. So we don't know really what, what the effect is, um, yet. And I think we're going to, I think now in the U.S., we're starting to feel it. We're kind of going to see how it affects us and then we'll kind of recover. I know a lot of folks in Washington state died there. Most of them were located in the same nursing home, but, um, I think that's, that's important to look at those numbers and just kind of keep that and keep it in mind. I do think if anything, the anxiety and the hysteria kind of around it is, is making it a thousand times worse than it actually is. Um, and, and like I mentioned South by earlier, I'll just say there, there's a petition right now. It's got 46, last time I checked, 46,000 people that have, have signed up to cancel South by Southwest because they just feel like it shouldn't be happening. And my response to that is, well, if you're going to do that, you might as well cancel airports because I feel like that's, the hub and the nesting ground of any virus would be an airport, but right, um, right. It, it's different uh, what it, what it's all doing to us. And I do think that social media bombardment is continuing to affect us. So my job, like you're saying, is to kind of teach adults. I feel like I'm doing that now online with my Facebook friends. And it's and some is met with, I get a lot of negative pushback from some friends that are like, you're taking, not taking this seriously enough. I was like, actually, no, I'm just taking it with a wider lens. Yeah. Um, well, the number of folks, you know, still killed by the regular flu is, is much higher. And so we yeah. don't know, but 
Um, well, did, I don't, we haven't talked. Did, did I, did I tweet you that I've been accepted for a TEDx? Well, I guess I'm a finalist. <laughs> They got to get me. Congratulations. Yeah, it'll be in September, but it'll be on technology fear therapy. So they actually had, Lovely. Me, they had me record uh, a full video of it, which I was like, wait, I don't even have all this <laughs> put together. Yeah. Just the ideas, That's good. but I had to send that in. So maybe I can share that with you and get oh, some I'd love to see it. Yeah. Other, I love other thoughts and stuff. Cause you know, what I talked about the most was, you know, passwords, hacking, um, and people needing to have that, that IT, you know, family friend or whatever, yeah. uh, to be able to help with that and two step verification. But, you know, I think, I think some of the tech fear therapy, it, you know, it also just has to do with how big the changes are that are happening, how fast they're happening. Um, I don't know if I'm going to end up doing something with it, but there was a great PBS special back in November of just last year, 2019, that was called in the age of AI. It's like two hours long. But like the scale of things that are happening and moving and just, you know, having opportunities to process. I don't know. I'm not sure if that fits into it or not, but certainly, certainly hysteria and not being emotionally, you know, having your buttons pushed and your lever you know, pulled or whatever you want to call it uh, in terms of the ways that, you know, folks will emotionally prey on us and target us specifically. Um, I don't know that I have it in the show notes, but there was an NPR. I listened, you know, to my, my Google home uh in the mornings yeah. and it was talking about you know some initiatives going into some retirement communities talking about media literacy and trying to you know help help increase the savvy i don't know about you but my my thought is and we're not the political show so we're not just going to talk on politics <laughs> there was super tuesday yesterday and yeah. we had some very yeah. interesting things happen this week yes it did. Um, i mean it just i think the disinformation and the level of uh information warfare like it's just I think it's going to be much worse than it was in 2016. I mean, we haven't done anything in a regulatory level, although it's the the cat and mouse game with with all of the companies. Um, right. So, um, I'll and I, I guess I'll do this article. So this was NPR Technology on March the second. Twitter's head of site integrity on fighting election uh, disinformation. And um, there was another one also from NPR two days later. Twitter vows that as disinformation tactics change, its policies will keep pace. That second article, I think, was talking about – this is the one I, I listened to. Um, yeah, they have a new policy on what they call synthetic and manipulated media. And so they're attempting to flag and provide greater context for content that has been, quote, significantly or deceptively altered or fabricated. And um, I've mentioned before – on the show, I don't know if I mentioned to you this great series that Destin was the Smarter Every Day YouTube channel did. He did a Twitter one, a Facebook one, and a YouTube one. But like the, the algorithmic weaponization of social media yeah. and the ways in which account these bot accounts retweet and also content is created, like with with YouTube, and then it's promoted. You know, all of that stuff. Um, obviously, it's good to see the platforms, um, you know, making changes and trying to adapt. But it's just it's information warfare and, and countermeasures to countermeasures and all that. So would you say you are uh, are cautiously optimistic, maybe in terms of all this right now, or fairly pessimistic? What what was your? What's your I'm opinion? I'm always an optimistic person, so it's really hard for me to be too pessimistic. But I will say a, a couple of interesting tidbits there from what you just said. So one is it's ironic that you said you were listening to your Google Home because I always say my Alexa listens to me. I don't listen to it, but. Um, <laughs> That's another part of, you know, media oh. literacy and intrusion and privacy and all that too. I mean, member of the family, we're just listening yeah. to each other. So at what point does that member of the family start to give you political advice? I mean, think about that down. That's not too far from our future where you'll start getting little messages like, Oh, Hey, Wes, did you know? Um, I will say there was an, it was a, a friend of, I believe Alec Kuros who, who wrote, he wrote a post on Facebook about this where he had started over his Facebook account. He made a new Facebook account from scratch and decided to follow all the opposite. He was, he was a Democrat liberal and he decided to follow mostly most of the Trump suggestions and, and GOP suggestions just to see like what would happen to his feed and his stream. And he was surprised. I mean, not really that surprised, but the amount of advertisements and, and articles that were being shared with him that basically echo the beliefs and the narratives that you hear all the time from, from that side as, and as well as from the democratic side, it's amazing how much those algorithms, I like how you said that that's true. They, they continue to kind of, respin the echo and, and and i'm hoping that because the awareness is up that we'll also be a little more alert to that like when you see a tweet that has thirty-two thousand retweets and you look at it and like wow that account was just created two months ago hmm i wonder where that came from 
you know, it looks like a real person, but uh, that's kind of strange. So hopefully people are being more aware of that. But I, I, I don't know. You and I are so in tune with it that I think we're keenly aware of it. I just don't know general populace if we are yeah. or not. I mean, my sense is there's no way we can provide enough media literacy um, that, to, to, to make a dent probably in what is going to happen. And that actually reminds me of here's this is your you, Peggy, anyone else listening, maybe a great audience to ask this question. I need help with a, with a summer workshop idea. Uh, at our ed camp, we had a great conversation, um, about digital citizenship, but it, but it led to, you know, discussions about civics. And, um, Greg Opal is a 12th grade, um, civics and, and U.S. history and history teacher, uh, up in Edmond. And, you know, I've been connected to him through Twitter for a while, but we're talking, he's, he's talking about like, <laughs> Like reinventing civics or just the need to be teaching the real civics, not just the, you know, the dream of the, of the, the three branches of government and the wonderful checks and balances. You know, he was talking about how they had just talked about congressional subpoenas the day, you know, an announcement came out that said, Hey, you know, the president can basically do whatever he wants with executive privilege, et cetera. Um, especially about the weaponization. What I, what I want to do, and I've talked with Greg and then I've just visited with, with several of our high school, um, history teachers, I want to do something around media literacy and really the future of representative democracy. And that sounds grandiose, but like we really do have to figure out how is representative government going to work better than it does today in an era of social media when, you know, it, so many people <clears throat> can have their voices amplified. Things can be weaponized and, and really we, we, we need a more savvy population, but we also need to, we need to just, we need to figure this out to do better. And right. I, I feel like for a long time in, in teaching, you know, social studies and civics and things like that, I mean, we've tended to just kind of maybe present and maybe, maybe everyone else doesn't do this, but I think I, I received and probably passed on to many kids too a, a somewhat Pollyannish view of, of American government. And so I, anyway, I, I, I need a title better than media literacy and the future of democracy. I don't know. Like even Wikipedia, this is, this was a great media literacy tip that I read recently. Like when you're trying to figure out where is this source? Like where is this coming from? Cause everybody should ask that. You know, you, you basically in most cases now can't read that website in order to say, Oh, what do they say in the about page? You know, you've got to read laterally, but they said Wikipedia, if it's any kind of, of legitimate news source is going to have a page. And, and if there's controversy, you know, you can look on the talk page and you'll be able to see right. people hashing stuff out. And they also said that, you know, local news, you need, they need to have Wikipedia pages. And one of the things that's happening now in the, in the election is that different groups, whether these are you know, Russian groups or other kinds of groups, they're, they're grabbing the names sometimes of local papers that were real, but they've actually shut down, but they create a new website and a web front. Brilliant. And that's part Brilliant. of the way they yeah. are, you know, trying to portray themselves as a legitimate news source. So, um, and I think in general, Wikipedia has a fairly bad name and a lot of teachers have been dismissive of it. But yep. I think that if you look at citations, I, I love to pull up an article. Like we pulled a Taylor Swift article up the other day and I was like, how many citations do you think this has? And it was like over 400, you know, citations <laughs> and the way that people, you know, hash out on controversial issues. They talk about it. So anyway, I would love if anybody has, has some thoughts. Hey, awesome. Lydia Krupp says social media, the third political party. When oh, democracy like that. goes digital, uh, have you yeah. seen, have you read the book Fact versus Fiction? It's by Jennifer. Do you know Jennifer Lagarde and Darren Hudgens? I recognize Darren Hudgens name, but I don't know that. Book. Yeah. That's awesome. It's called te uh, Fact versus Fiction, Teaching Critical, uh, Skill, Thinking Skills in the Age of Fake News. And okay. it's, she, they put in, um, I, I got to interview them recently on a, on a podcast and they put in a lot of little activities and challenges that, as I was reading the book and trying to do them, I was getting them wrong. Like, where did this come from? How can you tell this is fake or not? And it was like a mock-up of an Instagram post or it was a real Instagram post, things like that, where I was just like, I, I took the little, they took a little quiz in there and I, I must've got 50%. And I feel like I'm pretty in tune with it. So I can right. only imagine like somebody looking at that, we're like, well, that's gotta be fake. No, that's gotta be real. Right. I mean, so doing even like a little five minute warm up of that, would I think hook your, hook your audience in. Yeah. Um, and then, well, and then figure out how to, you know, how do you go from there? But. Yeah. yeah, it's about web literacy. It's about reading the web and it's, it's a, it's about also, you know, recognizing how these things need to be in English class. It needs to be in history class. Like it can't just be, Oh, we go over into computer and do that. So, um, Mike Holden's, uh, web literacy. Well, what is it? 
web literacy uh, for fact checkers. Yeah, not that, for not, not for dummies, but yeah. Yeah. I did, speaking no. of speaking of Wikipedia, though, I did see. I don't know if it was what pre, uh, what Democratic debate recently. Did you see this on Michael Bloomberg's page when it changed for like a few minutes? What happened? It said like he died and it was the day of the actual debate. It was like February 19th, 2020, Michael Bloomberg's death and says cause of death, Elizabeth Warren, because she basically just ate him up on one side or the other. And I thought, well, that was somebody really funny, but you're right. It was changed quickly after that. And I think I saw that, that Wikipedia actually has a, a higher accuracy rate than even like the standard encyclopedia where you've yeah. got a, a handful of publishers versus a, a wide range of millions of publishers and editors, right? Yep, back in, you know, the dawn of the web 2.0 days in like, you know, 2002 or whatever, that was a, a real big article people were circulating comparing Britannica to Wikipedia as far as, you know, average. Peggy is putting uh, Jennifer Lagarde. Uh, Library girl, Library yeah. Girl in She's there amazing. Well. She's hilarious. Yeah. So, well, let's talk a little bit about uh, some more coronavirus. So, sure. uh, this is good. I, um, Saw that this is from The Verge on March 3rd. Google and Microsoft are giving away enterprise conferencing tools due to coronavirus. <clears throat> we have been at our school, as I am sure many folks who may be listening have been doing. We're talking about well, what would happen if we have a disruption, yep. um, because even if it, we're about to have spring break. Right. And so, you know, if folks travel, uh, certainly internationally, um, depending on where you go, I mean, there's there's dangers of of uh, quarantine in that country, you return back. And then even the school could, you know, have quarantine. And, and there's a possibility maybe that, you know, the school there, there was a school up in the North Northwest, I think it was in, uh, the, in Oregon that I saw today was, you know, going to go ahead and just take three weeks to, to just do online school. Um, yeah. And so anyway, we were looking at Google Hangouts Meet, which we actually use for our ed camp. So I got a chance to play with that quite a bit. You have to pay or you had to pay in the past for the enterprise level that allowed recording of your mm -hmm. sessions. I remember that. Yep. But um, I've been, I was really impressed with the uh, performance of Hangouts Meet in its you know, multi app. You can do it on a iOS or Android device and all that kind of stuff. So Google um, quote announced that he'll be rolling out free access to advanced features for Hangouts to all G Suite and G Suite for education users globally. And this means that organizations like with just the regular basic, I think it was like limited to a hundred. So now you can have up to 250 participants live stream up to a hundred thousand viewers within a single domain. Um, I mean, I think that would mainly happen if you, let's say you uh, were going to do something with student support, like live conference uh, office hours. That's something we're yeah. talking about. Uh, how are we going to provide student support? It's a big, big question. You know, maybe you were going to combine sections or something like that. And if you had a lot of students, maybe you're going to, you know, be pushing, if, if you're not teaching college, you're probably not, you know, going to be pushing a hundred simultaneous users. But anyway, that is probably good. And then Microsoft is offering a free six month trial globally for the premium tier of Microsoft Teams. Uh, I think that sounds a little less, um, you know, <laughs> uh, enticing, but uh, you know, if, if, I don't, I, I guess, I don't know. It doesn't actually say what, how much you're going to get if you, if you do the full version. I will say that I saw a fantastic demo of OneNote a few weeks ago at a school we were visiting and I've been, I've been playing with that a little bit, but probably if it's, if you're already a Microsoft school, maybe that's good. If yeah. you're a Google school, I mean, this is, this is great news, I think, or potentially good news. And WebEx just yesterday announced a free 90 day trial, um, of their full suite of tools for the next 90 days. So once you sign up, you've gotten, and usually I think they do like a 30 day. So they've extended that to three months. So again, yeah, companies are coming up to the, to the challenge and the task of it. Um, I don't know about Zoom yet, but I know that, um, someone did tell me that Zoom stock is going, uh, through the roof because of this. But, um, as you might imagine, I do think you're right. I think it needs to change. And I think one of the things, um, I wrote an article just today actually and published it. This is based on questions I'd asked on Facebook. I said, how many of you or your schools are ready or prepared for this? And most of the responses I got was like, yeah, we can do it for a day or two. And I'm thinking, no, I'm actually looking like two weeks, four weeks. What does that look like? I, I think you're, I think the last time you and I talked, spoke, I was actually going to Hong Kong. Um, that's right. You were, uh, you were about to go. And I, and it was amazing. I love the great people, amazing place. Um, a lot of the things you see on social media aren't true about protests and all that. I mean, there's some of that, but it's not as crazy as you think. Um, but what was amazing is I actually became friends with a few of the teachers there and we're now, and a lot of them, they haven't been at school since February 2nd. Um, they've been shut down through April. So they are not only going stir crazy with cabin fever, but they're also, they're running out of kind of things to do like busy tasks to do with their kids. Cause it's one thing to send home packets, you know, like worksheets and stuff, but it's another thing to like actually have the office hours and have like places for students to interact and collaborate online. 
without setting all that up ahead of time, it's really challenging. Um, oh yeah, absolutely. To try to, to just introduce that to your staff and your students, like, oh, by the way, tomorrow school's out for who knows how long, and now we're going to use blank tool. So right, we're going to make yeah, we're going to turn everybody into online online teachers. It's a that's a huge ask. So yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna write a blog post and probably maybe even put together um, a presentation. Um, our new technology manager is really well connected with all the other uh, tech directors in what's called ISAS, which is our Midwestern Texas region uh, uh, area of independent and private schools. And so lots of great resource sharing. And there was a, a school in China that had had a very, I think, well formulated plan with multiple levels, depending upon, you know, whether everyone was away from school or just some. But the thing I like the most about it is in terms of instruction, this is what I want to write about. They said, you know, three main parts, delivery and interaction and assessment. And then I think I would add to that a fourth one of support. But we were talking today about tools that teachers have used, uh, asynchronously more. Um, we, we have, and we did a, we've sent out a survey to all of the the faculty as far as, you know, both their experiences as well as um, what they perceive their needs to be. Um, but it is, uh, and I've gotten some of this talking to Jason Neifel, you know, who the Montana, mm-hmm. hey, honey, our dog is actually barking to go out. <laughs> Shall we? Sorry, like, nice interruption here. This is, but like, this is, is the time. puppy, this is, this is time, the folks. puppy who never barks to go outside. <laughs> so I'm about, I was about to say crawl. Uh, can you let Moose out, please? He's barking to go out. And I love that his name is Moose. <laughs> yes. This is You're, fantastic, but, though. Literally, I think that is the first time he's ever barked at the door. Good. You have a guard dog now. <laughs> yeah. Well, he is. He's like five months old. And he has a deep, deep voice. Our, our dogs have not usually spoken, and <laughs> he speaks. Um, okay. So what was I saying? Something about... Uh, You're saying about how, the, about the, yeah, about the delivery too. And I think, I think that's part of it is, and what I wrote about was part of that was like, how do you, yeah, it's, it's how do you deliver learning? And it's not just content. I think it has to be learning because you and I know this, that teaching online is not just a, you can't just substitute face to face with online mm-hmm, and make it the right. same thing. Um, the other things was like, how prepared is your staff? But also I, I got deeper into like, what do you do with, all the staff in your school. I'm talking about the itinerant, the paraprofessionals, the ones that are making hourly that no longer get a paycheck because they're not checking in every day. And I think there's still usage for them too. I think your custodians could be doing deep cleaning of the actual building. You have um, paraprofessionals that could be checking in one-on-one with those students with special needs, whether it be face-to-face, because you could still do some of that in small and limited amounts, or you're like you were saying, using a hangout tool or WebEx to really drop in and help those kids because they're going to have to be doing the assignments as well. And they may need an assistance or some accommodation. So right. um, I think you have to think about it even at a wider scale than just a classroom teacher, but I, that's, that opens up a whole nother can of worms. Um, and then of course, like you're saying, access is just the, the big one. Like how many kids actually have access? Right. It's a lot more than it used to be, but I mean, you can't assume that every child will have a laptop with real high speed internet. You know, it could be just a phone, their mom's phone that they can use. And um, just- to the credit of Google Hangouts Meet, I mean, you get a phone number. So one of the things I, I actually did oh, I a post a couple of nights ago was just an over, it was a why of why Hangouts Meet. Cause here's one of the biggest things. Cause I was, you know, a director of distance learning for five years at Texas Tech in the College of Ed. You absolutely don't want to make email the centerpiece of your <laughs> support environment. And that can happen. In fact, I think it happens quite a bit. I was thinking today, we probably need our teachers. If this, let's say, if this happens, and I'm, we're jumping ahead. For right? sure, it's sure. Not being well, it doesn't, hurt, it doesn't yeah. have to be prepared. If it's not this, it could be ten years from it now. Could, but right. Gonna, it's always good to be play. prepared. Hey, we're yeah. in Oklahoma. We have tornadoes sometimes. Um, yeah. But you know, we ought to probably even think about writing a syllabus in terms of expectation because I think it's really important to have clear expectations about this is how I want you to ask questions. This is when I'm going to be available. You know, because if you don't make that clear. And even if you do, you know, students and parents and others can, can reach out to you in all different kinds of ways. And it can be, can be crazy. Um, and I, and so, you know, on a very positive note, I think this provides an opportunity. It can yep. provide an opportunity, uh, to really look at, you know, what kinds of skills, uh, with technology do we have? Um, I'm really curious on the survey that we sent out just to find out what percentage of our staff have made instructional videos before. I've actually wanted to know these answers for quite a while, but for whatever reason, we just, we haven't done that. So I think, you know, people will say never squander a good crisis. 
Uh, I think there's some good opportunities here. I've to, never heard that. I'm honestly. Oh, you haven't? Seriously? People say the people air quotes. Who says that? Wes says never yeah, squander a good crisis. I love it. I'm stealing it. But I mean, yeah, that's, that's true. This, I, I agree. This is a great opportunity. I, I think for me, what I've seen out there that people have been putting out there is, you know, taking Google Classroom and using it as a way to disseminate digital worksheets, which I think Again, good, bad, whatever. It's, it's, at least it's something that's, that's consistent. Um, and then the other thing I've noticed is like those blended learning tools like Flipgrid or Padlet or things that we probably use somewhat in the classroom. Those can now transfer into, like you were saying, a teacher could easily make a video, put it on Flipgrid and the students can be responding or having a book talk around that video, around that book, whatever they're reading back at their house. And it right. kind of continues the conversation. Microsoft Teams is another one. I know, um, like you mentioned Microsoft earlier and I know that they're, they're big on the Teams thing. I do think they're starting to innovate a little bit more in that space. And I'm starting to dabble in it, but I've had a lot of my Microsoft friends tell me like, you've got to get, it's, it's really slick now. And I think using it's it as really a collaborative tool. Yeah. It's really different. I mean, that's what I saw at this. We were at Ursuline Academy, which actually Melinda Gates is a graduate. They've been one-to-one since yeah. I think 96 uh, and heavily in, you know, to Microsoft tools. So what I saw was, I didn't really see a lot of the Teams collaboration, but definitely the, the, the OneNote. I mean, it's just quite different than a typical learning management system. Yep. Google Classroom or Canvas. Um, Peggy is saying that EdWeb is exploring ways to make their services available free. Um, and then it says also creating it their own virtual learning communities. That's, that's, that's good. And that's Peggy, if, if you're yeah. able, you got that link and want to tweet that at us, I will include that in the show notes. Uh, and then, um, Lydia is joining us tonight and says that talking about this idea of expectations that she puts that, you know, very clearly into uh, her, uh, her syllabus, you know, she's not going to respond to email between, you know, nine and seven because students, you know, would be upset and she's not replying quickly to 1 a.m. I mean, yep. it's just true. We gotta, we gotta give those expectations and I, I it, it'll be interesting. I'm, I think, yeah, it's, it, it'll be an opportunity. I also think we need to make sure that we define the academic expectations, both for students and teachers real clearly, because it'd be easy to, you know, have lots and lots of time, especially if you haven't designed curriculum for <laughs> an online, you know, asynchronous environment. And similarly with students, like, you know, we've all probably experienced that with technology. If you're, if you're spending so much time on this one thing, you know, that's where we need to tell them like, this should take you about 30 minutes. If you're spending much more than that, then you need to stop and, you know, have a support option. So. And I think that's uh, the other part of this that we probably, and it depends state for state or country to country, is what kind of a credit will students get for instructional time? Because, and this is something that's beyond the classroom teacher's really uh, threshold of, of scope of control. But I know in Texas, we've been fighting for it for a while. But honestly, unless you have a certain amount of time physically in a seat, they aren't going to count that. So that means even if you do two weeks worth of work as a teacher, does that mean you're still coming back and you're still having to add on two weeks through June? of your contracts, you basically worked and worked again. Teachers will do it anyway, because we want to continue the learning. And I think that's great. But I think also we have to think about the capacity of a teacher. Like, are we stretching them out without any real monetary compensation? Because we're saying you just need to do it um, because we want the kids to be better. But then they're going to have to still come back and still do that last two weeks in June now. And some states, Illinois, I know, does allow a little bit of e-learning. They call like three days worth, I believe, um, which is a start. But I this could really rewrite a lot of legislation around it, too, in states, which I think is good. I think it needs to happen to some level. Yeah. The Carnegie unit that we, you know, have as the yeah. foundation of our, of our learning saying we've got to have this, this much seat time. Uh, Peggy is saying that ISTE had a great webinar yesterday by Josh Stock on 30 plus recipes for creating awesome sauce videos for student and professional learning slides. Awesome. That is fantastic. And a shout out to Teach Like a Ninja. I guess is that Josh Stock? That's a, sure. Yeah, that's a great Second. Twitter handle, by the way. That's, that is, that is. <laughs> I'm jealous. <laughs> and, and then, uh, Peggy's on the EdWeb advisory board. And so they're discussing resources. And so, yeah, that'll be fantastic to, to find out. That is also a great thing. I mean, not only do we know more about the, the, the science behind viruses and how they're spread and how we need to contain and we need to wash hands and don't pick your nose and all those different right. things. You know, we also have better collaboration tools than we've ever had before. So, you know, just like with the school in China that we got to see their plan, you know, it's uh, I think it, it will be an opportunity to encourage our teachers to be connected and to think about ways in which, you know, we're going to be able to, you know, pool resources, crowdsource, 
Um, in fact, I've wondered, is there a hashtag? Like, is there any new hashtag? I haven't seen one yet. I haven't but... seen one yet for schools. I've been using coronavirus as a hashtag, but that's not the, it gets right. lost in that mess. I'm coronavirus starting that. ed, maybe? Or... maybe. <laughs> um, I know I'm starting next week, future ready schools just asked me to run a Twitter chat just about two hours ago. Actually, next week I'm going to be running one and we'll ask some of the questions that you've been bringing up. And uh, you're right. I mean, what we're doing at this very moment actually is something that could totally be done in an online learning environment, right? You have mm-hmm. a couple of professors, a couple of students hashing things out the rest of us are kind of watching monitoring adding comments like peggy and lydia are doing lydia who by the way i think is geographically right in between you and i west i think she's in richardson texas um right right in the dallas area so that's kind of cool but again that that idea that we can i think we have all these tools to our our disposal but now twisting kind of how we're thinking about using them and making them more for educational profit in terms of learning profit not money um, that's right yeah i think that's an interesting thought and that just triggered a thought. So when I was at Texas Tech in Lubbock, uh, this is in the, the early days of the podcasting time. Um, so it would have been, you know, circa 20, uh, 2005 or something like that. I got connected to a professor who was at, at UConn, the University of Connecticut, and he was doing a weekly podcast and he would have different students come in and basically they would talk about the chapter or talk, you know, talk about what mm. they were doing, but, uh, they weren't do- be able to do that live, but that, that's cool. Like I, I think that is, is neat to think about. Here's this, here's this study and what we've been, you know, talking about. We couldn't reasonably have an interactive, you know, dialogue with, right. you know, even 30 students. But hey, if we have several that are the designated sort of panelists, you know, then you can have others that are going to come alongside. And so I personally think with, with our, it's going to depend upon your staff and comfort level and all that. Sure. I think it's probably, uh, I don't know if safer is the right word, but it's more conservative to, to ask teachers to plan for an asynchronous content delivery and also asynchronous interaction. Um, but when we think about live, though, that's an exciting possibility to think. I mean, depends upon what you teach and, and grade levels and all that stuff. For our elementary teachers, I really think Seesaw is going to – it's the platform yeah. we already have. Everybody already has a Seesaw. They're going to use it. We're, Parents know how to use it, yep. Yep, and, but but we're going to probably have to set up new account, new uh, classrooms for the Google logins because our kids have the Google logins, but they actually – are set up with QR codes and that, yeah, yeah. that, that'll be a question to, to find out. But you know, what, what platforms are we already using for, you know, inter- interactive exchange? And I kind of think we might not have the live, you know, nearly as much. I mean, <laughs> those of us who have been doing this for a while, I mean, live is fun. It's exciting. Our comfort level is a lot higher for someone who has not had much experience with this. That's <laughs> going to be very scary. Of anxiety. Yeah. And so I'm even, I'm one of the things I'm puzzling over you know, is just student support. And, uh, we don't currently have a ticketing system for student tickets. We, we're not one to one at this point. And so we don't really, you know, our librarians handle student support issues, but we don't, we don't ticket that. And, and so thinking about, cause we've got 900 kids, we got about, you know, 550 or so probably in middle and high school. So how are we going to handle and triage with the very, very small tech staff we have? you know, password resets or, you know, browser issues. There's going to be a host of different things that the classroom teacher is not going to want to deal with. And so um, our IT managers use Freshdesk is one of these issues too, is like, do people have to have an account in your, you know, domain and your system or whatever. So we talked yesterday about maybe spinning up, well, two things. Log me in has a rescue thing and you can, you know, buy buy seats and then it lets you, actually kind of like team viewer directly give support on somebody's Take over laptop their machine. Yeah. or their, their iPad, you know, even phone, um, which is also interesting from a phishing standpoint. Yeah. How do you know that's legitimate? It's really be careful when you click on there. Yeah. Right. Right. Give them authorization to control everything. Um, but anyway, that's, that's a conversation we're having. Like, was this something we need to spin up in that event or maybe be ready to, to say, here's how, you know, with, you know, students and parents, this is, this is how we'll respond to your technical, you know, questions and, and that kind of thing. So a lot of the parents, a lot of the groups that I reached out to that responded to me said that they were using things like they were already created step sets or single page step sets for, for parents and for teachers, but then also just like a single page. I think it was Andy Wallace, who's up in South Portland, Maine district, uh, up in the Northeast. He said they just have like a single page, like here are all the accounts we use, Newzella, Brain Pop. Here's your username, password, which is good to have anyway. 
but then you send that home to parents and like, okay, now I have these resources that I can use to supplement some of the learning too, um, or use like an online portal, like ClassLink or something where they could go to, oh, to yeah. log in. So I think it's we're, handy we're right there needing that. Now, what did you call that? A step set? What is that? Oh, it's, it's the, the Texas way of saying, I'm going to make a one pager for you that basically is here's the instructions with a picture of what I'm doing. It's a single piece of paper or PDF. Um, you can also do interactive videos, of course, to have them click through whatever, but, uh, yeah, in Texas, we call it step sets because we do, you know, the two step down here. So yep. we usually have more than two steps, but yes. That's, um, that's it, fun. And you have to be careful too, because if you're talking about, yeah, kids at home working on Chromebooks or working, I mean, they could be working on any type of device and then you don't even, you know, talking about those devices catching a virus. Oh, wait, that's probably not a good joke, but, um, <laughs> right. you have to worry about everything. I mean, it's true. You don't, you don't, I think we have to kind of teach to the norm of just web based, I think is the thing. You can't oh, assume yeah. that. Everyone's going to have one teacher was telling me like, how is she going to teach her Adobe classes? I'm like, yeah, that's a challenge. They may not have the software at home to do that. You know, it's may have to pivot have and to you know, use some, use some web based. Lydia's uh, saying one of their campuses requires students to go through a checklist of basic troubleshooting, um, like restarting, <laughs> you know, before coming to the library. Yes, and, number one. <laughs> yes. These, these are, these are the things that we need to develop, right? This is, this is digital literacy. Uh, well, to catch a couple articles, I just looked and man, it's, it's 9.52. So how crazy we is fly. that? We fly. Uh, Google, this is Ars Technica on March 3rd, said they are canceling the IO developer conference amid the coronavirus concerns. Um, of, on a very biological, like, I don't know this about coronavirus. I don't know if we know yet, will it survive the summer? Like flu tends to not be able to survive through it. And so anyway, the, you know, questions as far as, you know, ISTE and summer things, but, but Google, I'm, I'm disappointed because Google IO is always one of those things we love, you know, talking about and they're always going to come out yeah. with some, you know, new amazing. Uh, I like guess completely online now is what they're saying. Cause Adobe also just, cha- just canceled theirs and they're going to make it completely online. They're big. Mm. I think it's Adobe Max or whatever it was that's supposed to take place at the end of March. I think March and April are the ones that I'm hearing are most in question. And by end of April, we'll have a pretty good handle on what we're doing, dealing with here. And I think you're right. I think it may die off or it may just get to where people are recovering quicker and we have antidotes and vaccines and things out there. But uh, I would say the next two months are, are somewhat in peril. And I'm going to South by, of course, next week here in Austin, but also Q in California, where a couple of conferences like ASCD is sending out notifications to presenters now that says, hey, if you're not comfortable coming, we will push your presentation to the following year. We'll, we'll, we'll refund you or just have you come next year. So they're already yeah. starting to feel it because they wouldn't send it out if their numbers weren't getting a little bit lower, you know? So I think people are, there's, a, there's definitely something to worry about there. And ISTE, um, responded officially because someone asked ISTE about whether or not they would cancel and it, it turned into a, a giant Twitter war about the cost of presentation fees, which is a totally different subject, but. Well, we but you, you, you put that into the, in the uh, show yeah. notes. So it was Eric, uh, how do you say his last name? Pat Nudis, Pat, I think. Pat yeah. Nudis. Yeah. He's, he's up in the Chicago area. And it was originally, we were talking about just kind of, is this going to happen? Da, 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 da. And he's like, well, they, he, he dug around and he found like one thread where Isti actually responded to one person that said, yes, we're still planning on doing it. And then he wrote a whole bunch of other things. Basically the presenter, Again, this is kind of off topic, but on topic about how presenters discount is instead of 425, you're paying 350 to go as a presenter, which then it lit up a lot of people. Alice Keeler, a lot of people, you know, um, you and I know are on that thread and it's got, I think now over a hundred, uh, oh, favorites. Uh, it's 767. I just pulled oh it up. Oh my God. Yeah. It six, was, lit- it was literally at like 150 when I posted that like an hour ago. 60 oh retweets and 767. 109 replies. I mean, yeah. it is. It is going crazy, which, which makes me think maybe this is again another, like, like someone just said about what was it? The opportunity when something happens. Never squander a good crisis. <laughs> never squander. A You've good never crisis. heard that before. <laughs> no, I gotta write this uh, down. Uh, um, that one before. <laughs> I think maybe this also helps us kind of think what is the value add of a physical conference? Cause we just start, got yeah. done talking for the last 20 minutes about physical buildings. Maybe oh, yeah. we need to go back and rethink the virtual conference or, or what does that look like now? I mean, can we make it more Absolutely. a virtual reality? God, it would be great to put on some goggles and actually walk around a little bit and talk to people too. What's, great. what's the new Oculus without, doesn't require um, a PC? Uh, Oculus, not go because that's the one I have. It's, um, and it's not, oh. it's the, the, the new Oculus. I can't think of it. Have you played with it? Cause the, we have a teacher who has one and I've yes. spent like quest. 90 seconds. Yeah. Quest. Yeah. I spent like 90 seconds fishing in it, but I mean, I was like <laughs> literally not uh, yeah, you could yeah. do virtual fish. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. he was, he was talking about, you know, the Facebook feed and virtually, yeah, you know, experiencing your feed. I had a crazy one that happened. Uh, gosh, what, how many tweets does it have now? 
uh oh the, the screenshot the uh the like on a saturday here so it has, has a 1061 likes um wow. i happened to tweet about uh hong kong and this this I, I like to listen. oh yeah i saw that I like to listen to world affairs. And so there's a great interview talking historically about Hong Kong and it's called Hong Kong on the brink and this author. But that was a thing where like within three hours I had over 200 likes and it was like, okay, the bot, I I thought I still do. I think bots got involved, but I also got direct messages from people that from anyway, it appeared that they were legit and real, but Anyway, it's kind of wild, man. That was one of the first times I'd like touched, woo, that, you know, like I got you a just hot jumped, response. You jumped into the stream and it, it grabbed hold. That's also great media literacy too to talk about. Like you were just saying, is there a hashtag out there for schools, right? And we don't have it yet. Maybe we need to invent it, but mm-hmm. that how, how valuable that is too to like kind of get a part of that, be a part of that conversation in the stream. I saw, I did see that tweet of yours and I was like, wow, he's, He's hitting something. I got worried about you for a minute. Like, right. Oh, no. Right. Go get, go get well, the and, and then when I blogged about it, it didn't, it, you know, it didn't get picked up that same way. So somehow, but it, anyway, it was dip. <laughs> it was interesting. It was very interesting. And this, I mean, these are the conversations media literacy wise. We need more teachers Absolutely. involved in. And I think, you know, back to that challenge. If any, if anybody listening out there has an idea or maybe you're doing something, you know, last, last summer I went to Providence, Rhode Island for a week in July. It was fantastic to the, uh, the, the it's called the, the, the digital literacy Institute or the Institute on digital literacy and Renee Hobbs puts it on and that's scheduled for Chicago this year, but you know, not everybody's going to get to go to Chicago. And I've just been thinking I'm a big fan of sandbox and let's try something. And there's so much meat and good things here and so much need when it comes to the media literacy and the civics and, and these kind of conversations. So yeah, maybe coronavirus and and all this is going to not only, Help us take a look at the blended learning and online learning capacities that we have and, and our teachers have. Um, but maybe it can also have us encourage more, you know, online connections and learning like this, right? I mean, this feeds, feeds my brain, feeds my soul. I love this, but there's a lot of teachers that have not experienced, you know, at a distance collaboration and, and learning like this. I think, I think the virtual, I don't know if you remember, but there was this thing called second life way back in the day. Do you remember that? Of course. Oh yeah. <laughs> Isti yeah. had Isti Island and you could go and, and you'd pop up and you're like naked when you first appeared. You had to put clothes on and get, get, get hair color and everything. But I feel like it was, it's timing with everything with tech. And I feel like now the time you may be back again where you could imagine you put on some sort you don't have to put on goggles. You can just do it on your computer screen, but going to all these places or even with your phone now and you're actually in different rooms listening to different people speak. And you could even have like kind of happy hours if you wanted to and mingle and mix and talk about just different conversations in some sort of virtual space. Yeah. We're close to that. I, I mean, oh, we, yeah. were, we were there 2001. So You're, we're still, we're still tasting it. Yeah. Yeah. Our, our eighth grade teacher, Kevin, our history teacher, Kevin Hermanson is the one who has that Oculus. And, you know, he was saying it's definitely doesn't, it, it feels like a technology that's still f- in development. You know, it yeah, doesn't, very much it's not so. full for, but he said some of the things they're doing, like they have this gym and so you'll go and you'll hang out. And it's like, how crazy is that? It's like, at the beginning of motion pictures, right? They filmed stage plays. They, they didn't make that yeah. jump yet to be like, oh, Great you can analogy. be all kinds of different places and you can have cuts and yeah. you can be doing different things. But we tend to kind of like, oh, here, let's, let's hang out and shoot some baskets. Whereas like you think of Ready Player One, you know, they're running around ever. You can yeah. be doing anything. I was playing, anything. I played in an online poker room uh, with my goggles without money or anything. It was just free, but, um, <laughs> but you could pick what table you sat at. And based on the table you sat at, you saw all the players and I was like a tiger with a cowboy hat. So nobody knew who I was, but you could hear your, through your microphone. You could hear people actually speak. And it was actually, and only the people at your table. So if you looked over at another table and then clicked and went to that table, then you could hear their conversation, something with wow. the AI and the algorithms where you could actually just hear the people around you. So you didn't hear a bunch of noise. You just heard people at your table and it's their actual voices through their microphones. It was just neat to think about the possibilities of it. Okay. So I've got to, this is not on the, on the show, but I'll have to mention this in the context of the, of the uh, VR and everything. Have you ever heard of Alice the magician from um, Vermont? No. Okay. So uh, shout out uh, to, uh, to Lucy. She's tech savvy girl on, uh, on Twitter Alice the Magician is this um, 
is this place where they've really gotten into the, uh, let me make sure I'm going to get this right. <laughs> the bad thing the is the, when I, Google, when I Google search it, you know how Google autofills the first, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, first yeah. thing that came up with says Alice, the magician's annoying Alice, the magician's dead. Okay. Hold on. So I'm gonna, I gotta, okay. Hold on. Hold on. Yeah. So this is the, the very danger, the danger of saying Google this. Yeah. Um, so I'm actually going to my blog. Oh, God, God keeps on misspelling it. Don't you is hate it Alice um, okay. Alice. It keeps on, man, it kept on, my stupid iPad keeps on trying to say Alice Ver, not Alice VR. Okay, I'm going to get it now because I blogged about this. All right. Oh, seriously? Um, <laughs> Turn that off. <laughs> all right. Sorry, guys. Yeah, that's the last time anybody's going to ever want to, I'm going to get everything. If I search for Alice, I'm going to get everything that Alice Barr have ever posted. Okay. Um so when Shelly and I went up to the Create, Make, and Learn conference um, in, um, where's Bernie, Bernie from? Um, uh, Vermont, Burlington. This uh, this is, and I'm sure it's called, called Alice the Magician. Um, scents and odors. They can extract the essential smells, So and then they can get them into basically what looks like a perfume bottle, and they spray it on a card, and they wave it under your nose when you're in the VR. And so... <sighs> They do a lot of work with Four Seasons and really high-end bars because a lot of enjoying drinks has to do with olfactory experiences. And so anyway, they had a partnership with um, the local you know, University of Vermont. This is in Burlington. And they, um, you know, it was actually a, a, a bar experience, but you wandered around, you picked up drinks, and then yep. there were literally people spraying things on cards and waving them under your nose. And that's not a scalable way to do that kind of thing. Um, but I will put it into the show notes. I am not finding it successfully here. They just, yeah, there's an Austin, North Austin. They just opened a virtual VR breakout room where you actually, it's a big giant physical space where all of you put on goggles and heptic suits. And you can actually almost have like a laser, like laser tag, but virtual and you can see each other in the room, but there's actually like objects you can hide behind, but in the actual space, it's nothing. It's just a giant open field, which is interesting to think about. Yeah. The virtual bar or the virtual experience of where you can have that interaction either physically in the same room or in the case we're talking about going to a conference together and like, Hey, I'll see you meet me over in room, blah, blah, blah. And then you and I kind of sort of walk over there for lack of a better word. And then when we get close to each other, we can hear each other better and we can have a conversation. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's called the, Alice and the Magician. Okay. okay. Alice and the Magician.com. And so, um, it's, it's a lot of it is focused, you know, they're monetizing this, you know, on cocktails and elixirs, but the connections <laughs> that this makes to, you know, to VR and, you know, you've had these 4D experiences at Disneyland parks and those kind of things oh, like that. Awesome. So, yeah. all right. Okay. Well, hey, okay. look at that. We're at the top of the hour. So I think we better do some geeks of the week and get out of here. Uh, you want to go first? Yeah, I'll go first. So I, uh, Wakelet is a tool that I've heard a lot about for the last probably eight months, I would say. For me, it takes, I guess, about 20 times before someone actually, before I actually start using something. If I hear it enough, I'm like, all right, Flipgrid, maybe it's a real thing. Now I realize it's a big thing. Wakelet I've heard about for months. So I finally get on it and I've started to use it. And it is basically a mashup, I would say, of Delicious, Digo, and Pinterest um, as a way to kind of curate resources. You can make them public or you can keep them to yourself. Um, but I'm going to start using it more during my sessions and, and presentations as like a, a resource board for people. So they're like, where did you get that video? Where did you get that article? I could point them to a certain wake click link. And I think it'd be a neat way to kind of get people to kind of curate resources and you can share it. Um, and Lydia loves it. Yes. I think Lydia was one of the first ones that told me about it actually online. I saw, I was like, what is this? And how do you even use it? And everybody started telling me what it was. So that's, that's kind of my geek of the week um, for that. Uh, and then I posted another one that was just kind of funny. It was a, a tweet about a, a guy that was a, it was a, if you click on it, it's actually a 2036 uh, plane ride. And it was like his personal vehicle flying through the clouds of essentially like a living room that floats through the clouds and what, what the future of transportation could turn into, which I'm still kind of wrapping my head around. But um yeah, those are my two geeks of the week. Awesome. And mine real quick is uh related to the coronavirus. So <laughs> this is a website by the Johns Hopkins um, ArcGIS uh I guess, uh, tool and, uh, or their implementation of it. Um, and so this is one that we've had up, uh, on some TVs, you know, kind of tracking things. So it has total numbers of cases and then deaths and numbers recovered. And then you can, you know, see these red circles as they, as they grow and as, uh, the coronavirus is occurring around the world. So that's yeah. a great dashboard. That's awesome. 
opportunity for geo maps and talking about the ways in which we, you know, represent complex data sets, overlaying them with the map. And you can learn more about that at showwithmedia.com and you can click the geo map link because I've got some, some good stuff there. So Carl, when you are not here on the EdTech Situation Room, where can people find you online? Uh, I'm at Mr. Hooker on Twitter and at Hooker Tech on Instagram. You can also look at my website, carlhooker.com. Uh, and I'm going to start uh, right now. If you go to that website, there's actually a newsletter sign up that I'm going to start up uh, pretty soon. In fact, probably tomorrow will be my first one that goes out um, with with tips, tricks, uh, discount codes, event uh, half price codes to get to events and things that I'm a part of. Um, so for join me, if you want to follow along, I promise not to spam you. Um, yeah. And that's where I'll be for the next. Uh, well, for as long as we as long as we go until they, until they start closing down all the conferences. That's where I'll I'll be kind of a little bit of everywhere. But also, yeah, follow me. I'll be at uh, South by next week and then Q hopefully tweeting and, and sharing a lot of the great things I'm learning there as well. Fantastic. And I am W Fryer on Twitter. My blog is speedofcreativity.org. Uh, my media literacy and digital literacy curriculum for students is at mdtech.cassie.org. And I am looking forward to hopefully being at the ISTE conference at the end of June. My wife has gotten some approval for funding also Yay. from the school. And so we will be there and I actually have a session. It's Wednesday afternoon, which is not a great time, but I'll be sharing about those media literacy lessons and digital literacy lessons for students. So without further, uh, you know, elaboration, I think we've gone over the top of the hour. We want to thank Peggy and Lydia for tuning in live. Encourage everybody to follow us on Twitter at EdTechSR. Also remember that you can get very small 32 kilobit audio MP3 versions and 360p video versions. If anybody's counting, it's about, uh, yeah, a little bit smaller than, than normal 720 size, uh, video versions, as well as subscribe to us on YouTube. And you can find all of that goodness on edtechsr.com. So until next time, stay safe, stay savvy, everyone. And you'll definitely want to check out the links here, especially with all the great stuff that Lydia and Peggy shared. Thank you all for joining us live. It was awesome. Thank you all. And thank you, Moose, for dropping in as well. That's right. And for barking when you needed to go outside. <laughs> we, we love that. Cameo. <laughs>